welcome to Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. I'm Aaron. And I'm Polly. Here we are, episode five. Actually, episode 601. I hate oh, to six, correct you. Well, you know, see, we're renumbering. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're retconning the show. And uh, so this is the new numbering system. Yeah, episode 601. <laughs> no, you can't. See, no one's going to tune in at episode 601. They're going to say, you know, it's too many episodes. I'm not going to know what's going on. I'm not going to know what the continuity is. You know, is this Paul Prime I'm listening to? Is this the Paul from Earth 22? Ooh, they're they're not going to know any of this stuff. So, you know, you have to keep the, the numbers low. You know what? Then how about welcome to Ultimate Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. Where Aaron eats people. Where Aaron eats people and That's Paul right. crushes heads. That's right. We're crushing your head. <laughs> well, Paul, what you done this week? Anything exciting? You know, uh, not really an exciting week. Um, you know, we're going to get into our comics here in a little bit. Uh, I, you know, it was a slow week comic-wise, oh, man, so I made up that. for it by spending Bruce Wayne-type money on trade paperbacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I picked up four trade paperbacks this week, none of which I know when the hell I'm supposed to get to read, because I still have to finish that uh, Guillermo del Toro, The Strain novel yeah. that I'm only about half of the way into. You know, uh, so I, but I, I just couldn't help myself. I was like a kid in a candy store. I had the credit card and just kind of oh. looking around. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I need to catch up on Invincible. And, uh, oh, yeah, Darwin Cook. Credit card in a comic book shop, a dangerous mix. Yes, Absolutely. That was your Surgeon General's warning for today. I came home with a stack of trade paperbacks yesterday, but I went about it the more economically and fiscally responsible way. I went to the public library, and I picked up, uh, I think, the complete run of the Superman-Batman books in trade paperback. You know, the, you know, Jeff Loeb and whoever else, you know, Ed McGinnis and all those guys that, that, mm-hmm. that drew the book with him. And, you know, I had picked up the first couple of issues of that series, but dropped it early on just for, you know, expense sake. You know, not that I've ever disliked the series or anything. So now I'm going to get to read it all in trade paperback and I don't have to pay for it. My tax, my taxes for city government have paid for those books. See, there you yeah, go. Yeah. That's good and, stuff. And I also picked up, uh, one of the, the, I think it's the only Kevin Smith, uh, trade paperback that I don't have of the Green Arrow stories, and that's the one where uh, Onomatopoeia yeah. is the villain in it. Mm-hmm. So I picked that one up, and I also picked up it's a it's a Hal Jordan Green Lan- Green Lantern story I had not read, the Wanted by uh, Jeff Johns and Ivan Rice. So I got this whole gigantic stack of trades. No read. joke! Wow, that's yeah. great. I'm very excited about that, and I'll also tell you, you know, my. Uh, uh, Library has a really good selection of audiobooks, you know, on disc, MP3, that kind of thing. And so I picked up book one of the Dresden Files on audiobook this week as well. So lots of groovy stuff to, to be had there at the public library. I know I was talking to one of my buddies earlier this week, and he says, yeah, my library sucks. <laughs> they don't have any of that stuff. But, uh, you know, my, my library's got, a, got a, a nice wide selection of it. The only thing that annoys me about how they categorize graphic novels is that they put it all in young adult. Ah. And so I feel like an utter creep. <laughs> being over there in the in the young adult section, you know, because I don't have any kids to make an excuse of saying, you know, oh, these are for my for my children's, you know, I I I don't have any of those, so I'm there for me. 
<laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you didn't get the Bone One Volume Edition from your library, though. You know, honestly, I did not look, but I will. I thank you for the reminder. I will look yeah. that uh, look that up next time. But you know, since that thing's only like twenty seven bucks, I think I'm just going to buy that one. True, and you know, you probably have to stay a hundred feet away from the uh, children's section at the library anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I like children. I'm just not sure if I could eat a whole one. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, especially nowadays, since they're so fat. Well, yeah. You know, they're all stuffed on on Cheetos and whatnot. So, yeah. uh, you know, read some comics, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, see if you're if you're reading comics, you really can't eat Cheetos because you're going to get the pages all orange. Exactly. See that comics keep you fit. If you'll look around the comic book shop, you will see a wide variety of. Uh, uh, Array, a wide <laughs> array of people who are in the peak physical condition. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> they, they wear clothes, baggy clothes, because they don't want people to get intimidated. That's right. That's you know, right. it's like going into the gym. You know, except comic people are more friendly. That's why you and I require two X's in our shirt size. <laughs> exactly to <laughs> cover all are, the muscles. We are so freaking ripped. We are cut, man. We are cut. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't use proper grammar between Varay and more friendly as if that's uh... <laughs> Well, we do speak goodly here on the, uh, the on the podcast. So, uh, books this week. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. We have what? a winner. We're going to oh, pick yes. a winner, aren't we? We do have a winner. I'd almost forgotten that we're, we're you're giving stuff away. Just giving stuff away. Now, are we giving a ham away this week? What are we giving away this week, Paul? What we're giving away this week, well, two weeks ago, for everyone who's listening to the podcast and still with us or hasn't listened to our podcast from two weeks ago, we were talking about good comics to break into if you're not really a normal comic reader. You've been out of the loop for a while, you know, maybe since the 90s comic you know, bubble burst, um, or you know, you're just new to the comic world in general. You you know, you check out our site, Ideology of Madness, for the role playing or the video games or the movies, and you're just kind of wondering, where the hell do I start? You know, you walk into a comic shop, there's stacks upon stacks, stacks, racks upon racks of comic <laughs> books. Um, wow, this is a good start. Uh, uh, and. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll take all this out in editing. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> um, so we thought we'd help you out a little bit. And instead of having to seek out what to buy, we have a stack here of comics that good jumping on points, good places to come in if you haven't been there for a while. And we threw a little something special in there for you. Just a brief overview of what you're going to get. A little more than we talked about last time. You're going to get a copy of The Unwritten, number one, from DC Vertigo. This is Wildstorm Universe, number zero, from Wildstorm. X-Men Future History, from Marvel. Greek Street, also from DC Vertigo. And Fables, from DC Vertigo. Batman Hush, from DC Comics. Uh, that's um, the first part of a large storyline. Uh, we Kill Monsters, number one, from Red 5 Comics. Uh, Cyber Force Hunter Killer, number one, from Top Cow. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man and Incredible Hulk, number 600 from Marvel Comics. Vertigo Crime Special Edition, which also includes uh, 100 Bullets, number one, from DC Vertigo. Atomic Robo, number one, uh, of Volume 3, Shadow from Beyond Time, from Red 5 Comics. 
and DC Comics Blackest Night number zero. You'll also get a Black Lantern ring that came special with Black Lantern or Blackest Night number one from DC Comics. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> and Rassel Volume One: The Drift, which is a trade paperback collecting the first three issues of Jeff Smith's Rassel comic book. Um, I tell you what, boy, that, I, I, I'm so envious. I, I, I want to win this. <laughs> and it's that is a great, great book. Beautiful. And it's not normal comic sized. I had to get a special box for it because it's old school graphic novel sized. Yeah. Great stuff. Beautiful to look at. Highly recommended. And the winner of the contest is going to be announced today. And I'm going to post it on the site because, you know, some of these folks, and I don't know, maybe we should make them listen to the podcast and see if they win. <laughs> if you entered the contest, make sure you listen to the podcast. Um, (laughs) So let me see Uh, First honorable mention Sean T. DeLapp Posted a comment on our podcast Basically saying he's got a nephew Who's learning to read And he likes superheroes But you know he has a problem In that a lot of his comics aren't appropriate For a child who's coming into reading Um, So I spoke about Marvel Adventures Which is friendly for all ages You know especially children But you know it, it doesn't insult your intelligence if you're an adult um you know it's not like reading you know uh like the dc super friends that kind of thing the old spidey super stories yeah the old spidey (laughs) super stories spider ham you know i i we are in full support of child literacy here at ideology of madness and funny books with aaron and polly so what i'm gonna do is (laughs) wait wait wait. i'm not sure that i'm in full support (laughs) i'm in full support of child literacy Yeah, Aaron. Aaron's cause is keepkidsstupid.com. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But what I'm going to do for Sean is I'm going to throw in Marvel Adventures Spider-Man and a Marvel Adventures The Avengers digest size trade paperback. I think they have like four issues worth in them. I'm going to throw those into a box or an envelope for him uh, so he can get his nephew started reading on some good stuff. So congratulations, Sean. And Congratulations, uh, you know, Sean. Let it not be said that we uh, you know, don't give away free crap at ideologyofmadness.com. That's right. Or funny books with Aaron and Polly. And uh, the big winner of the, the box of all the crap that I just told you about, I've got a little... It is the top of a CD spindle, you know, the little clear thing that you get when you buy a 50 rack. And uh, I cut up a piece of paper, you know, put them in there. Uh, We had a couple of entries, some great stuff, lots of people looking to get into comics. So I am going to go through this this, uh, CD rack thing and pull out a name. Rustle the paper close to the microphone. (laughs) And the winner is... Aaron. Um, I won! Aaron. <laughs> I won! <laughs> not Aaron Head. Oh. Uh, Aaron with two A's. A-A-R-O-N. And let me look. He, uh, he left a comment on the site. Uh, he says, like Dicebag Jonathan, if you guys listen to the podcast, you know Jonathan was the reason we had that show about right. breaking into comics. Um, he says, I am v- now very tempted to start looking into comics again. Uh, I have taken a hiatus due to graduate school. Uh, and now that I am starting to make some form of income, I think I want to get back into the hobby. So, Aaron, we've got a box for you that'll help you get back into the, uh, we won't call it a hobby, we'll call it an addiction. Because uh, that graduate <laughs> school, I hope you don't have student loans to pay because you're going to be broke for a little while. Yeah. So, congratulations to Aaron. 
and to Sean, your stuff will be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Most excellent. That's that was a great that was a great contest, Paul. Yeah, and actually, I don't want to announce. Well, this isn't necessarily comic related, even though we're funny books with Aaron and Polly. Uh, but if you've checked out our website, Ideology of Madness, you'll know I've been talking about my obsession with the BBC America Channel lately, yeah. and um, we have a prize on the last story that's coming out Monday. Is my goal. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to be talking about Torchwood, the uh, BBC America series Torchwood, oh, yeah. which is a spinoff yeah. of Doctor Who. Right, good series. And uh, one lucky winner, and the details will be posted in that story, um, will get a copy of Torchwood Children of Men on DVD. Uh, and for those unfamiliar with that, it's their, it was a new miniseries. It aired last week, already out on DVD. Fantastic stuff. And even if you've never seen Torchwood before... It's just good TV, and you can jump in without knowing anything about Torchwood and really enjoy it. Great, great programming. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to see it, Aaron, but I watched it during the week last week. I've not seen the the new miniseries, but I've heard about it, and I've seen the series uh, and really enjoy Torchwood. Yeah, so we've got that going uh, starting Monday. Uh, details to be announced you know, in that article on Monday, so keep an eye on the site. Very good, very good. We just, you know, just giving stuff away here now. Now, when are we giving hams away? Uh, thanks. No, no, I was about to say Thanksgiving. <laughs> We're giving you a Thanksgiving ham. Uh, um, I, I, I do think. I think you called it uh, Torchwood Children of Men. I think it's Torchwood Children of Earth. Oh, I'm sorry. You are correct? right. It is okay. Torchwood Children of Earth. Okay. Um, but we're still not giving away ham. Sorry. Okay. No hams with that. Okay. But maybe next time. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Keep keep listening if you want a ham. Well, like Paul said, not what you'd call the most amazing week in comics this week. I agree, even though I said it originally. So I guess I have to agree with myself. <laughs> and, you know, I was wondering, I had to go back and look at the calendar. I had to look and see, you know, was it a five-week month? And that's, I think that's the reason, because there were five Wednesdays in July, and I think they just kind of, you know how on that fifth, that fifth week, there's, they're, they're kind of struggling to put something good there. And, you know, there are really only two things that I think were, were really worth buying <laughs> um, out of everything that I bought. And I didn't buy a whole lot this week. Uh, you know, and, you know, thankfully it was, it was a, a light week for me. So, you know, it wasn't as uh, wallet punishing as it usually is. I know that. The, one of the books that was that I think is just terrific this week is the second Batwoman issue of Detective Comics, you know, issue 855 by Greg Rucka and J.H. Williams III. And, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about this book, the 854, in episode one, in, inclusive of our Greg Rucka interview. And I, I'll just say, man, this is a beautiful book. It is. It is. You know, it is. I can't wait for them to come out with an absolute edition of this run. Yeah, that is exactly what I was thinking because this the the artwork is just stunning. Um, it is that it is so uh, the mood that with the coloring and you know the, you've you've got such a, a nice somber tone in some of this stuff. And there's a, also a very strong surreal quality, which is in keeping with the villain. Mm-hmm. Which is you know Alice of an Alice in Wonderland kind of theme, and you know so it's got it's got that really nice surreal texture to it, and yet there is there is a realism to it that in the in the figure drawings and the the very painterly style to it, it is just breathtakingly beautiful, and I, I, I'm dying to know 
what J.H. Williams III's lead time is to get one of these books out. Because, again, you know, it's not just that the that the pan- each panel is so perfectly rendered. It's how all those panels work together, and there is, a, there is a flow to it. In fact, there is, on one page, there is a shot of inside the villain's mouth yes. looking out at Batwoman. And I, I think there are probably very few artists who could make that panel work. You know, because, I mean, you look at it and you go, oh, that's exactly what that is. Should the, the villain is producing a razor from inside of her mouth, and you can see where the razor has been hiding inside of her mouth. But, you know, it's not you're not looking down her throat. You're looking up out of her throat and out at the villain. And, I mean, there was never a moment when I, when I was looking at that panel where I'm going, well, what the hell am I looking at here? I mean, I immediately looked at it, and I understood what, what I was seeing. Yeah, and it, I, I think that that's a real trick uh, to be able to pull off that kind of thing. Yeah, and you know, I know this was originally started a while back when they were going to do, I guess, a Batwoman miniseries. Right. So I don't, you know, I mean, I, I know that he has a fill-in artist coming in a couple of issues. I think maybe after six issues, maybe mm-hmm. four, I don't know. Um, the artist Jock is coming in to take over for, I think, three issues right. to give him more lead time. But, you know, it's worth it. It is worth it. You know, I know Detective Comics is not something that can come out late. So right. If well, and that's what that's what Greg Rucka said. He said, you know, uh, Detective Comics has got a hit every month. It's freaking Detective Comics. You know, so you, you can't miss a month on it. Yeah, absolutely. We are going, you know, if J.H. is on the title for a while and he says he wants to be. Yeah. We're going to see fill-in issues and it's a means to an end. But at least, you know, Jock is a, a good fill-in artist. So they're not yeah. pulling out crap. I, I think the stories will probably still be written by Greg Rucka. You know, if you, if you're only two issues into the run. I think it's great. I really do. It's well written. It's beautiful to look at. And even the co-feature, I got it right yeah. this time. Yeah, you I'm get, so proud of you. You get a co-feature <laughs> and a backup. Yeah. Um, because you get uh, the question co-feature by, you know, Greg Rucka and Cully Hamner. Great art. You know, it's it's very different in style uh, than the opening story, right. but good stuff. And you get a preview of Adventure Comics number one by Jeff Johns and Francis Manupol. I mean, just five pages. It's pretty much in every DC book this week. It's not anything impressive or overly exciting. I think they probably could have chosen a better five pages. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's yeah. a start. I, well, you know, I really like Francis Manupol's uh, artwork, but I, I think you're right. These are, are not overly impressive pages, but that's about it. But, you know, going back to the co-feature with the question, really liked that co-feature. Um, I wasn't as sold on it in the first issue of, detect- uh, of you know, the first story it was shown in 854. Mm-hmm. But, boy, I really liked the flow of it. I really think uh, Hamner's pencils work extraordinarily well with a lot of action. Yes. And the coloring, again, works so well. Now, you know, one of the things kind of interesting is, you know, Greg Rucka is common to both the primary feature and the co-feature. But you've got two very different artistic styles. Uh, color palette, very different. But yet they, but there, there is something about both of these, and maybe it's just the writing that brings them together. But the, the, these stories both flow very well, and they both have similar beats. Because at the without spoiling the story, at the last page of the Batwoman story... She's in, you know, rather deep kimchi, <laughs> you know, she, she's up to her ears and alligators and same thing 
at the last page of the question co-feature, things have ended poorly for her at the, at the end of that. So, you know, both of them wind up in a rather vulnerable state at the end of both of their stories. And I just thought both of these stories worked really well together. I thought uh, 855 of Detective Comics was, was a really good read. And I just, I'm right there with you. I'm waiting for the absolute edition so I can buy these stories again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Double dip. Um, That's right. Now, one DC comic that I wasn't impressed with this week, but I think you had a better opinion of it. Well, I won't say I wasn't impressed. I liked it, um, but I don't know if I like it enough to get back into a series that I had already dropped. Um, right. was Justice Society of America number 29 by uh-huh. Willingham and Sturgis uh, with art by, I'm going to say Jesus Marino. Um, yeah, with that, that, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was uh, Jesus Marino. Jesus Marino. Yeah. Great art. And it, you know, it is intriguing. I do like some of the stuff they're doing with it. Um, I just, you know, I've been out of the JSA loop for only a couple of months, really, since the end of right. Jeff John's run. So I think I only missed a couple of fill-in issues. Right. I just, I, I don't know what, and maybe I, I should just stick another issue just to see where it's going. Well, I, I have to preface this by saying that I really like Justice Society. And I had dropped it in favor of picking up the trades. In fact, I just finished Thy Kingdom Come, the big Gog and Magog uh, storyline in Justice Society. I just finished the third hardback, God, two days ago. And so I picked this up because I'm a huge Matt Sturgis fan. And yeah, you know, picked this up because it was his first issue and uh, on the on the new title. And again, I I deeply deeply love Justice Society, and I really liked it. Now you know, it was it as sexy uh, first issue in a storyline as say Detective Eight Fifty Four. No. But I thought the artwork was was really good and in keeping with kind of the the standards that we've seen in Justice Society through, for instance, the uh, Thy Kingdom Come storyline. Mm-hmm. You know, the the it's not a a real glaring shift from you know what we've seen. Um, you know, Justice Society is very much a story about aging superheroes who are training the next generation of superheroes. And that's really kind of the niche that this superhero group fits. And so you've got all this history. And the the, the uh, uh, Jesus uh, Marino does a really nice job of changing some of the style of his artwork from, you know, showing current time to pastime. And of course, a lot of that is also adjudicated by the coloring. You know, there's, there's kind of more of a sepia tone to it as we, you know, look mm-hmm. at some of like the World War II, uh, flashbacks, that kind of thing. But I, th- I think it's a, it's a good, first issue of a story, you know, to, to kind of bring you into that, expose you a little and, and kind of tease you with where things are going. You know, you're, you're left asking some questions at the end of the book, you know, what are the bad guys up to? Why is Stargirl so uh, significant? That kind of thing. And I just, I have to tell you, I rather enjoyed it. And plus, there's some stabbing going on in this book. There and, is, you know, there is. You, you got to enjoy the stabbing. And we're going to try to avoid too many spoilers. Because That's right. It's, so you know, not, it's a pretty surprising stabbing. I'm not going to say who got stabbed, but uh, I'm just saying that they're stabbing. But, you know, <laughs> I, I won't beat this with a horse. I, I just I, I really liked it. I liked the tone. Uh, Matt Sturgis has a really good way of capturing dialogue and, you know, really getting to the to the meat of a character mm-hmm. um, through spoken words. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan and I'm really looking forward to uh, where this is going. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest with you, I'm a big Sturgis fan as well. And so is my wife. Uh, she loves the House of Mystery from Vertigo Comics, yeah. which is also written by Sturgis. Uh, you know, I think my problem isn't necessarily with the team that's on it. It's the same problem I had with Jeff John's run. 
And it's just that there's too damn many cast members. Well, you know, and I will say this is the kind of the, the interesting thing to me is we complained about this in the Legion books. Yes. You know, I, I never can figure out who the hell is who in the Legion books. I mean, I know who Cosmic Boy is and I know who Lightning Lad is. But, you know, you, you move on beyond that. I don't know who those people are. For some reason, I can keep track of the Justice Society guys. I know exactly who all these people are. Yeah. But I have never been able to figure out the Legion of Superheroes. And maybe it's just because, you know, these are, are modern superheroes and they are superheroes out of the past. And maybe it's just a little bit more uh, grounded for me. And maybe that's why the, 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 the cast list is so accessible. But the... Uh, Legion has always just, I mean, since I was a kid, I've never been able to kind of penetrate that bubble beyond just a, a core few of them. Yeah, and I agree, you know, I mean, because, and that, that's what I was about to say as well, you know, I know all the cast members, I think there's still just too many for me. Yeah. And I guess Willingham and Sturgis agree, because it sounds like they're doing, well, it doesn't sound like, we know they're splitting the teams up. That's right. what the t- point of the two JSA titles uh, was revealed this week to be. They mm-hmm. are literally splitting the team up. Uh, I guess the other there's going to be a Magog uh, or Magog, mm-hmm. Stargirl, you know, uh, some other. There's going to be you know half teams uh, right. for each book, and um, I, I think that might actually be more accessible for me. Even mm-hmm. knowing the characters, it almost feels like there's too much going on for 22 pages worth of story. Now, I, I will say there is a character in here that I, I I did not care for in the Jeff Johns books. And, you know, she's still present here. And it's that Cyclone character that, you know, dresses up like a witch. Yeah, the talky one. Yeah, I don't care for her. <laughs> and and maybe because she wears leg warmers, I don't know. But <laughs> I don't care for her one little bit. Well, we both read another DC book this week as well. <laughs> and I didn't hate it, but it, it's it still feels like filler to me. Yeah, it was um, not good. What we're talking about is Blackest Night, Tales of the Core, number three of three, thankfully, the last issue of the miniseries that adds nothing to the Blackest Night storyline. And thankfully is completed this week. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, this week we get backstories on Kilowog uh, and Arisia, so it's pretty much just Green Lantern Tales. Yeah. And we get a pencils only with director's commentary version of the story in Blackest Night number zero. Which was the uh, free comic book day issue, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, if you haven't read Blackest Night number zero, my recommendation is still to seek out a color version of it. Yeah, I, I think that was kind of a cheat to, sh- to do the pencils. I, you know, save that for your absolute edition or something. But, I think you know, it, it, you know, to not get accused of just doing a straight up reprint, but you know, there was enough new stuff in this issue. I mean, no matter what no matter how you slice it, it wasn't worth four bucks. Yeah, I agree. You know, uh, it's just because, I, you know, and I'm sorry, because I know most of it's written by Peter Tomasi, who I'm normally a big fan of. And the stories weren't stories weren't horrible. They just weren't good they just, either. Yeah, they, they, they were not of the caliber that they should be churning out for this event. I love Kilowog. You know, he's, he's one of my favorite lanterns. And this story wasn't wasn't worthwhile. And I've always liked, uh, is her name Arisha? Is that how you pronounce that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. I, I've always liked her. Again, this story wasn't worthwhile. Though I will say, Mike Mayhew's art here is awfully nice. It is. It is. It is. awfully pretty. But then, okay, so you get those two stories. You get the Blackest Night Zero director's commentary. And I'm sorry, that's not worth it. And, again, 
three books of Tales of the Core Blackest Night, not a single Black Lantern in these books. Yeah, other than, you know, the reprint material. Right. You know, and to be honest with you, it just, I I probably would be a lot more forgiving of this book had it yeah. come out, say, after the Sinestro Core War, maybe yeah. to get you acquainted with all the uh, different Lantern spectrums. Yeah. Rather than as a specific tie-in to Blackest Night. Yeah, I thought it sucked. Yep. <laughs> and there you go. I'll stick with it. It sucked. Yeah, yeah it sucked. I, I bought all three of them. You, some, some lucky winner out there is going to win these in one of our grab bags next time because they won't be living at my house. <laughs> you know, you got to take the good with the bad, folks. You know, yeah. you know. honestly, it's not even it's not even something that's trade worthy. I don't even know if they're going to – it's not even, you know, three issues and I guess uh, seven tails, maybe eight yeah. tails total. Yeah. Probably not enough to you know, warrant a trade, so it'll probably make it in the back of some other trade, I'm assuming. I think you're exactly right. I think they'll they'll do, you know, some, some Blackest Night trades with, you know, the Green Lantern books and the Green Lantern Corps, and then they'll just intersperse these in as filler. And yeah. that's exactly what they're going to be utilized for as filler. I, I just – I think it's shameful. It's garbage. Yeah, garbage. It's garbage. It's crap. Just take it and throw it against the wall. That's it's right. garbage. That's right. Start a fire with it. <laughs> so, well, but we, you know, we did read some Marvel books this week. We did. We did. I, and I actually think I might have read more Marvel than you. Well, I only picked up one. So uh, if you read more than one, you uh, picked up more than I did. <laughs> I'm the winner. What do I win? Woo, more woo. crappy books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, I, I mentioned last week that I read the War of Kings story arc over in. Um, the Marvel Universe that involves all their space titles and whatnot. And one of the books has been Ascension, which involves the Darkhawk character. Now, I've never been a fan of Darkhawk, even from back in the day. In fact, I'll tell you a little story. <laughs> a little story. I, was, uh, I love Darkhawk, but I'll let you go with your story. Well, I, you know, I, I've never cared for the armor design. And that's been the reason why I've never read it, is that it just didn't look interesting to me. So, uh, I was, this is before, uh, I, I, uh, Suzanne and I married and I was dating a girl and she found out that I liked comics. And so she brought me a first issue of Darkhawk, you know, which I thought, eh, that's, that's awfully nice of her to, to think, you know, he likes comics. I'll go get him a comic book. So she, she bought me the first issue <laughs> of Darkhawk. And all I'm looking at is as she's handing me the book and I, you know, I'm saying, oh, thank you very much. All I'm thinking is crap. She bought me Darkhawk. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, this one's not a keeper. Yeah, yeah, this one sucks. Could you go get me something good? I was talking about the woman, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too, that too. But anyway, I've been reading the Ascension book, and it was a four-issue miniseries. And, you know, kind of charts the character's journey from, you know, not understanding his powers, where they came from, what it all means, to really kind of coming into a larger world. Getting involved in some stuff that's way over his head. He actually is responsible, kind of, for a death that occurs that's rather significant in the storyline. And I think they're, they're kind of poising his character to, to, have another series or at least be a larger player in the Marvel universe than he previously has been. The art is actually very nice in the book. It's, he's just not a character that I'm interested in. And I, I have to say the, the ending of the book was rather predictable. So I didn't find anything about it particularly surprising. It was a good read, just wasn't a great read. Yeah. You know, so, so I won't say that it was crap or that it sucked. It just, there wasn't anything here that really excited me. There are some nice guest stars. So those of you who enjoy the X-Men will enjoy that, you know, Gladiator and, uh, the Shi'ar guest star in this book, as well as, you know, briefly 
Havoc and, you know, several other of the, the star slammers, uh, are, are in the book. So anyway, it was, it was a fine read, not a great read. I'm glad I read it. It keeps me in tune with everything that's going on in this event. So, uh, I, I'm, lo- I am looking forward to the, this is, you know, you and I have talked before about how we would like our great big summer events to start and stop within the same summer. And this one actually is the last issue of War of Kings is due out really soon. And that's going to be, you know, issue number six. And that's what wraps it up. So, you know, this is actually going to resolve in fairly short order, which is great. Yeah. You know, and it seems like when Marvel, Lately, Marvel has taken their B-grade characters like Nova and Darkhawk, you know, some of the ones that were big back in the 80s and 90s, right. and uh, they're bringing them back for these not necessarily, I wouldn't say not in Marvel continuity, because they are, but not necessarily affecting the New the York, yeah. you know, Marvel continuity. Um, you know, you've got, on one end, you've got the uh, War of Kings and, you know, bef- before Annihilation and all that. And on the other end, you've got Marvel Zombies number four. Now, I don't mean issue four, even though it is issue four. I mean part four of Marvel Zombies, um, which includes a new version of the Midnight Suns, which if you read comics back in the 90s, Midnight Suns was the Johnny Blaze, Danny Ketch. Morbius the Vampire. Morbius the, you know, the, the Vampire. Uh, you know, all basically they're supernatural guys. And right now... Midnight Suns is Morbius again, uh, Werewolf by Night, Son of Satan, and Jennifer Kale. And they are part of the Marvel Zombies universe uh, or storyline that began in Marvel Zombies 3, uh, which actually takes place in the real Marvel universe. It's not in a separate universe or anything like that. It's, you know, so this is Marvel Zombies 4, which is basically a straight continuation from Marvel Zombies 3 through four it's almost like one storyline mm-hmm. covers by greg land uh you know they're not as fun as they used to be if you liked marvel zombies one and two these are a lot different i guess bringing it into the universe and you know of course they're not written by robert kirkman anymore and he wrote them more jokingly whereas these are you know real stories involving the hood uh, who's a big bad in the marvel universe and things like that it's not a bad read honestly it's it's really not bad at all and the art's really pretty good overall though it's not fun. It's not anything that has to do with the Marvel Universe. It's just okay. You know, and it sounds like they're already planning another Marvel Universe series um, that brings back the original, uh, I mean, Marvel Zombie series brings back the original Marvel Zombie characters, uh, Wolverine, Iron Man, Spider-Man, and the Hulk, who disappeared into an alternate reality at the end of Marvel Zombies 2. It's you know if you've been sticking with it, well, I don't need to tell you to read it. But if you're not a Marvel Zombies fan, there's probably not too much to like about this, despite being you know despite having the Midnight Suns in it, which is, was really my main draw for not dropping it, because I love characters like Mar- <laughs> uh, like Morbius and Werewolf by Night and right. Son of Satan and you know all those supernatural Marvel characters. I yeah, and I think that's I think this was intended as almost like a, a pilot. You know, to spin them off yeah. and, you know, revitalize the Midnight Suns because they're still together at the end and they talk about doing more, you know, battles with evil, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, I, I really liked those uh, Midnight Suns characters. I, I I was right there at the, the big 90s reboot of all that stuff. Bought all yeah, I mean, of they were books. great stuff. It was and, a great you know, little corner of the Marvel Universe, that supernatural corner. Yeah. And right now, they don't really have anything like that. You know, they've got Ghost Rider who's, you know, doing his own thing, but they don't have, you know, they have their space thing, they have their 
regular continuity. And it's it's almost like Marvel Zombies was meant to, I guess, revitalize that area of the universe. It's not. It doesn't do yeah. a bad job, but I would prefer to see a separate series, not necessarily involved with that Marvel Zombies continuity. Um, some agree. other crap I picked up from Marvel, <laughs> and I won't say crap because this first title, I picked it up on a whim. I'm not a big fan of the Dark Reign storyline going on in Marvel right now, with Norman yeah. Osborn being basically the the head of everything. I guess he's the head of the Avengers, the head of Shield, all that stuff. Um, but I picked up Sinister Spider-Man number two, which is written by Brian Reed with art by Chris Bacalo, or Bacalo, Bacalo. I'm going to go with Bacalo. And Sinister Spider-Man is not about the real Spider-Man; it's about Venom, who has taken on the name Spider-Man because Norman Osborn, being the head of everything now, has basically taken his Thunderbolt characters like Venom and Bullseye and all the villains gone kind of good, and they're the Avengers now, or the Dark Avengers. So this is Sinister Spider-Man, which involves Venom. Now, when I was talking about fun, this book is a lot of fun. It's dark humor. It's very dark humor. We were talking about eating, eating people earlier. You know, that's what this venom is known for you know he 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 gets reprimanded because instead of capturing the bad guys he ends up eating them uh it's a lot of fun it's only on issue two and i actually recommend it you know it's yes it has to do a lot with the continuity but if you're looking for something a little a little more mean-spirited in a marvel book this is a good place to go and if you're a fan of chris bacalo's art you know it's it i love his art and i think it looks great in this book well, you know, and you were saying you're not a big fan of the Dark Reign storyline. And, you know, I dropped those books right at the end of Secret Invasion because, you know, I was looking at how widespread the event was going to be, how long it was going to go on. I'm like, you know what? I'm picking this up in trade. And the, the the huge colossal mistake that I think that Marvel made is that they've got this event touching every single one of their yes. Earthbound books. You know, if, if you are a Marvel superhero on the planet Earth, I think that your book is wrapped up in this event. And so what that has done, you know, the, the, one of the reasons that we talk so much about DC on this podcast, beyond the fact that we really like those DC books, is that, you know, I have kind of been pushed out of the Marvel Universe because of this over the overwhelming size and breadth of this event, you know, and I know I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it in trade. I'm a huge fan of the Avengers. I loved what Bendis was doing over there with the Avengers. But, you know, when I looked at the, 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 the expanse of this event, I was like, well, crap, you know, I, I can't buy all those mm-hmm. books, <laughs> you know? So, you know, I backed out of it and consequently it's been what, almost a year since this event, yeah, nine just months about. since this, since this event started. And, uh, you know, I have bought very few Marvel books during that period. I bought the War of King books, and really, that's about it. And so I, I, think, I think it's hurtful to them. Pretty much, like you said, every Marvel book has that little dark rain tag along the top, you know. And, yeah. you know, it's, they, they lost J. J. Michael Straczynski on Thor because of dark rain and, you know, bringing Thor into that storyline. And, you know, it's just, you know, and I picked this up primarily because I'm a fan of the artist. That's why I picked this up. And it's fun, but I'm not going to go pick out, I'm not going to jump back into the Marvel U proper because it's just, it is, it's daunting. And, you know, DC learned their lesson the hard way with Countdown a couple of years ago because everything was, you know, tied to Countdown at first for like the first couple of months. And Countdown was tied to everything else. And, 
it was right. disastrous for them. Absolutely disastrous for them. So they, you know, they veered off course a couple of months into the story and basically changed the entire direction of it and made it almost mm-hmm. outside of what was going on in the DC universe rather than the spine of the DC universe, which is what it started out as. You know, I, I guess Marvel didn't necessarily l- learn the lesson along with them. And maybe the sales are still up. I'm sure yeah. the sales are still doing well. I think they would be doing a lot better right now if it wasn't if everything wasn't so tied to everything else. You know, you and I have both dropped Marvel titles. Oh yeah, well and when I look at my pull list every week and you know what I'm what I'm what I'm gonna be picking up, you know, I'll look at it and go, Oh, it's got a dark in the title. I'm not getting that one this week. Yeah. You know? So, you know, I was reading Wolverine, I was reading the old man Logan storyline, uh, with Steve McNiven and the minute that that became a dark Wolverine story, bang, I was out of there. Yeah, and I think that was their worst mistake. What they should have done is followed up that storyline with another superstar storyline. Yeah. You know, when DC ended, you know, when Batman Hush ended for DC, and that was Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee, right. who were the two biggest names at the time, yeah. they followed it up with Brian Azzarello and Eduardo Riso, I think, the, the guys who created 100 Bullets, which was big at the time. So it was one superstar team followed by, you know, an up-and-coming team that was still kind of a star at the time. But, you know, following old man logan you know which marvel superstars at the top you know marvel superstars mark millar and steve mcniven right and following up with just dark wolverine which isn't even wolverine it, it, it i think that i think a lot of people probably aren't interested but you know you could have kept all those people who jumped on specifically for old man logan yeah if you had done a superstar team you know storyline following that as I, well i absolutely agree because you know i hadn't been reading wolverine prior to uh, the Miller McNiven uh, Old Man Logan story. But the minute it changed, I read that first issue that came out after it. And it was just kind of a, it was kind of a vignette kind of thing. It was just little slices of Wolverine. Stories. Slices of Wolverine. Yeah. Slice of Wolverine pie. <laughs> but, you know, the, the book that came out right after it was, you know, deep into the dark rain continuity. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not spending my dollars that way. Sadly, I, I really think the Dark Rain stuff is probably pretty good, but I don't want to have to buy every book that Marvel puts out. And I'm probably uh, most of those titles, like Avengers, I'm going to be picking up in trade anyway. So I just made the decision to step out of it for right now. Hopefully, they're going to remove those Dark Rain banners and get back to some regular old storytelling. Yeah, I I, you know, I think we chase new readers off of comics by doing these giant events you know you've got these giant events that are that are you have to read the event to know to know what's going on i i think it's a huge mistake i think it's a huge mistake and you know we continue to play just to the comic shop audience we're not doing anything to bring new folks into the hobby absolutely i agree you know it seems like you know all the things that were done to bring in the new audiences they're years old now and they're just as inaccessible as the regular stories, and the regular stories we're making even more inaccessible. You know, and on to that point, I'm actually going to briefly touch on Ultimatum number five. Mm-hmm. You know, this week I wrote a story about Ultimatum on the website, and Ultimatum is basically a universe-destroying event of Marvel's Ultimate Universe, which began, you know, back in 2001 to try to bring in more readers. And I uh, I used to be a big fan of the Ultimate Universe. I think a lot of people were. You yeah. know, it was really a fun place at first. Yeah. And then as time went on and the original creators left, other than Bendis, mm-hmm. you know, it just it lost a lot of its allure. And, it, you know, once you start getting into 60 issues, it's hard to call that 
a good place for new readers to jump on. Exactly. And, you know, Ultimatum is basically their way of starting up again, because they're starting Ultimates Volume 2, essentially, or Ultimate Universes Volume 2. Right. But it's still the same continuity. This just ended up killing a lot of people and making a lot of heroes killers. The less said about it, I guess the better. Because, <laughs> you know, I got I got out my aggression on the website. And, and that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, like, like we were saying, it's just, it's hard to get into the Marvel Universe right now for both of us. And we still kind of read Marvel comics. It's just still hard for us to get into it. Yeah. You know, what's sad is that I love those characters and I love those creators. I mean, I, I, I'm crazy in love with Brian Michael Bendis. He writes some fantastic stuff. I think he, he redefined Daredevil for me. And I know most people say, Oh no, Frank Miller redefined Daredevil. And, and true, I don't want to take anything away from Frank Miller, but Frank Miller didn't spend the time on Daredevil that Bendis did. And Bendis created, you know, really kind of a, an opus. Of, of Daredevil stories that are, are very noir. They're very dark. I, I, I particularly really like dark comics. I like fun comics and I like dark comics. Go figure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> it is such a fantastic story. And, you know, here's Daredevil who actually has a character arc within the story. I've got every single one of those trade paperbacks and they are fantastic. And, you know, just like you were saying before, you know, the thing to to do after having one set of superstars work on the book is bring somebody else super talented to to work on the book immediately after. Mm -hmm. And that's what they did with Ed Brubaker. Yeah, Bendis left the book. They brought in Ed Brubaker, who is hot off of or still on all the Captain America stories. And they brought uh, Ed Brubaker onto it. And those stories, different feel than Bendis, but an excellent transition and are excellent books. And I, I think Daredevil is one of the best written comics in comics right now. It is consistent. The artwork is always there. And I got to tell you, the, the, the characters are fascinating. And the thing that I find so amazing about it is, you know, here we are in the middle of America, which is all about superhero comics. And true, Daredevil, you know, is a superhero, but his books aren't focused on going around beating up bad guys that are also wearing spandex. He's out there having really very serious character issues. His books are very talky, you know, and that's something that I, that I actually rather enjoy. And there's also a lot of action in them. I, I, there's, th- those Daredevil books are fantastic. Oh, there you go. And so, and so uh, all that was to say that I, there are, I deeply love the Marvel characters. But you'll notice as I was describing Daredevil, I didn't talk about Dark Reign. I didn't talk about Civil War. I didn't talk about Secret Invasion. Yeah. And is he, Daredevil's involved, is Daredevil involved in Dark Reign? Uh, you right know, I, th- I think he's involved in other people's books. I think he has like guested in other people's books. Mm-hmm. But he, like, like you were saying on the, the Spider-Man story, Last week, you know, where Peter Parker's trying to reveal a secret identity to Daredevil, and Daredevil just says, no, thank you, I don't want to know. Yeah. I, I, so I think he's guesting in other books, but I don't think that his book is in those. And again, I pick up Daredevil and trade. I don't buy the floppies. Gotcha. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I, and I will say this to our comic book store owner uh, listeners, I always feel bad when I don't buy the floppies. I feel, <laughs> I, 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 I feel guilty if I'm not buying floppies, because I know that's your bread and butter. But there are some books that I just pick up solely in trade. Yeah. And so I, don't hate I, us. We do and, buy plenty from you. And I, and I won't spend any time talking about how I almost always buy my trades at Amazon. So. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we won't talk about that. Um, now, 
Did you read anything not by the big two this week? I read Wild. This is Wildstorm Universe number zero, which was oh. a, a little freebie in my comic book bag. And you know they're rebooting the Wildstorm Universe because apparently the Wildstorm Universe blew up recently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now you know one of the nice things. Um, on the opening page gives you a little background about the Wildstorm universe. You know that in 1992 comic superstar Jim Lee left his position as the artist on the industry's best-selling title X-Men to launch his own comic book universe Wildstorm and kind of goes on talking about, you know, the history of the universe and whatnot. And I was really kind of hoping that it would be excerpts from the upcoming book, um, upcoming books, but actually what it was is splash pages with just a little bit of text telling you about the new book. So the artwork in here is awfully pretty, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm looking at that lady zealot with the, with the nice big sword and the gigantic rack. Yes. Um, she seems smart. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, really very nice artwork on all this stuff. It, just like what you would expect from Wildstorm comics. The art, the artwork is put right up there up front. It's the first priority. I don't think you're going to pick up a Wildstorm book that just doesn't look stunning. I know that my experience with Wildstorm books is that I was rarely thrilled with the writing. In fact, generally, I I, I liked the writing when there was uh, guest writers, like on some of the Gen 13 team-ups, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I I might be willing to give it a shot. Uh, Maybe we've learned some things over over the years. Uh, It's been a long time since I've read a Wildstorm book, so this little freebie didn't dazzle me. Yeah, I think the freebie, you know, it was only about eight pages, and like you said, it was all splash pages. I, I think it would have benefited more from actually having some stories. But what I thought was interesting is, did you notice it's all teams? Right, yeah. Do they have sure any is. solo books in the Wildstorm universe right now? Well, and didn't Grifter used to have his own book? He did, he did. Yeah. I mean, but he was still in Wildcats, I think. Right. So, yeah, this this does look like they're, they're all team books. I mean, you've got, you know, uh, Wildcats, you've got Gen 13, you've got The Authority, or The Authority. Authority. Uh, <laughs> you've got Stormwatch. And Stormwatch was the book that I used to read uh, at Wildstorm. And I don't recognize any of these people in this thing. I think Battalion is the only character I recognize out of that. And Fuji. Yeah. I recognize Fuji. Because, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Fuji Apple. Well, there you Ca- go. Character and fruit not related. And, you know, you got DVA and you've uh, whoever these last two guys here on the on the back back page. Yeah, it does look like it's going to be all team books. I don't know. I, I, I would have preferred a better primer than this. Yeah. But Wildstorm Universe gets rebooted every couple of years. Yeah. There was that they tried to do a reboot a couple of years ago headed by Grant Morrison. In fact, the wild, it, was, it was Grant Morrison and Jim Lee on Wildcats. And they only got one issue in. Right. Before, you know, there was just too many delays to keep up with it. I, I think they're learning their lesson, but at the same time, eh, you know, I, I'd have to see how some of these first issues look before I pick them up. Yeah, you know, I don't think I'll put them on my pull list, but I'll certainly look at them on the rack and uh, just see if there's anything there that interests me. I, reading a lot of those 90s image books and Wildstorm books was a lot like just eating ding-dongs. You know, <laughs> they, they they were great at first, but if you ate too much of them, you'd get sick and they're not very nutritious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were all very pretty, you know, and yeah. it was all artist over writer. It's that age old debate, you know, which one's more important in comics, the writer or the artist. You never can get people to, to just understand that both are important. So I'm hoping that maybe they've figured that out. I'm hoping that maybe there'll be some, some good talent on these books. And it doesn't have to be named talent, just folks who know how to write. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the last thing I picked up this week, speaking of folks who know how to write and art, uh, was Flash Gordon. 
by Arden Entertainment. I'm a big fan of this book. I love Flash Gordon as a character. I've always loved Flash Gordon as a character. You know, I even love that movie, you know, the the one from the 80s. Hey, don't say that like I even love that movie. That movie is awesome. That is an awesome movie. Okay. I even have the super special edition with the Alex Ross cover Damn straight. on DVD. I've got that as well. I absolutely love that movie. And, you know, you, you, can't, you can't beat a Queen soundtrack. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So now that I have made sure that you're not a terrible, awful person, no. you may proceed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Flash Gordon, you know, they're coming out with the trade paperback. This was issue six, which was the last of the first storyline. Uh, I think The Mercy Wars is what it's called. It's a really well-written book. And it's very pretty to look at. My main problem with it is recycled art. Oh, really? They use a lot of recycled art. And it's not like... When you say recycled, is it recycled from other books in the same series? No, no. Uh, it's recycled from... It, it felt like some t- in some issues, the artist had about three poses for Flash Gordon. And when I say three poses, I mean he drew Flash Gordon three times and reused that same image for the entire book. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, sometimes you can tell because sometimes the characters look stretched out, mm-hmm. almost like he just copied, pasted, and dragged it out to fit the panel. Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, it's, you know. Yeah, they teach you that in art school. Yeah, and, you know, there's some great stuff. I mean, and some of the, when he draws original stuff, it's great. But the actual recycled art is obvious. You know, right. it's the same Flash Gordon face on every panel, practically. And it's not, and it's not like and you can tell he didn't just draw it the same way in every panel. It is literally the exact same face. So you know, it, it, it's it's a little distracting. There was a lot less of it in issue six than there was in some of the previous issues. You know, but it is a good read, and I do recommend it despite some of my qualms with the art. I hope he has more lead time, or you know, maybe they get a different artist for the second series. Yeah, I, I just I'm not a fan of recycled art. I understand its purpose in storytelling sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like a flashback. Um, yeah, like a flashback. Yeah. Or even so much, you know, like, you know, there's three panels of the same, and then the last panel is different just to kind of show. Sure. You know, for a storytelling reason. Right. But when it's like this, it just feels like laziness to me. Well, and I've been reading the, the Flash Gordon series, but I'm not buying it in floppies. I'm actually picking it up on Iverse Media. Ah, indeed. And, and it's uh, actually uh, a rather nicely formatted um uh, series in iverse media you know for the iphone i think it's also available on google android 99 cents a book in fact issue one is free in the app store so if you go and search flash gordon you'll find flash gordon number one for iverse media uh absolutely free so you can get a get a sense on whether or not you want to read this book or not it's so one of the nice things about the uh you know reading the books on, on your phone is that there is a either a low cost or no cost price point to just see if it's something you're interested in yeah, so definitely. Uh, Great and stuff. you know, and I enjoy it. I, 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 there are certain types of books that I like to carry around with me on my iPhone, so I pick them up there. Other types of books, uh, I think, are great for floppies, and other types of books for trade paperbacks, and even the absolute edition. So, lots of different ways to get into comics. Yeah, and I think Flash Gordon might actually work better as an iverse title than as a print title because the distraction of seeing the recycled art isn't as obvious when you're looking at it in a panel by panel basis, right? Right. You know, you won't notice that this page looks the exact same as the next page because it's not necessarily pages you're viewing it, you know, in panels. But, you know, we, we've talked a lot today, Paul, concerning getting into comics. So, Paul, I want to ask you, tell me about your first time. You know, 
I've been thinking about this for a while because, you know, you actually had a story about your first time um, that I'll let you tell. I don't specifically remember the first comic book I bought. And I know that's awful of me because I know everyone does. You know, you ask an interview, what was the first comic you bought? Oh, it was, you know, Amazing Fantasy, whatever, you know, and it's just... But I don't remember my first comic. I remember how I got into comics, but I don't remember my first comic. And uh, the way I got into my into comics was from my father. My father was a big comic collector. You know, I was born in New York, in New York, uh, Queens, New York, right outside of New York City, basically. Yeah. And um, you know, so a comic fan in New York, there's probably no better place to be a comic fan. Right. You know, we used to go. Our regular comic shop was Forbidden Planet in new york city which is one of the big guys that is right. one of the big guys for comic books um in a city full of big guys for comic. i actually had a desk i had a school desk in my bedroom as a kid um as a wee paul <laughs> a little paul a little paul and it was like an i think it was an orange school desk but you know the old kind that you flipped up uh an elementary school desk that you flipped up and you know you can keep all your crap inside of it Right. And mine was filled with comics. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's that was my my story. That was my uh, my long box as a child. So I basically, you know, I had this desk full of comics, and I was big into things like Spider Ham. Oh yeah, and you know, I mean, a lot of the kids' comics, uh, right. Heathcliff. You know, the comics based on the cartoons that I watched at the time. Right. Uh, I remember loving Heathcliff, which I think was a, a star comics. I was big into those star comics back then. Right. Uh, like He-Man and, you know, any comic based on a cartoon, I was there. Now, I remember I was sick from school one day and my grandparents lived near the school. And so, I, you know, I, I had to go home and I went to their house because it was right near the school and my folks were still at work. And right next to my elementary school, there was a comic shop. And to help me cheer up, my grandmother walked to the comic shop and picked me up some comics. And, you know, she didn't know anything about comics necessarily. So she just kind of picked up what she thought was good. So she picked things up for me like Warlord, which I think was Mike Grell Mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man. You know, a lot more adult stuff than I was previously reading and that kind of turned the corner for me because i was reading all of the you know these titles that i didn't normally read and i really kind of started getting into them mm-hmm. and you know having a comic shop right next to your school and a pizza and a pizza place right across the street <laughs> you know i'd get off of school i'd go to the comic shop go you know g- eat some pizza they had uh, an arcade machine that had that old capcom game Gunsmoke on it oh yeah yeah so i mean it was a perfect it, storm <laughs> it really was you know and uh what I, I loved most about that is you know having that comic shop there. It was open early. I remember one time going before school. You know, school starts at eight in the morning, and uh, picking up the Amazing Spider-Man wedding issue or, what, oh, yeah. or you know the annual, the wedding issue. Yeah. And I, I tried bringing it to school with me, but my dad wouldn't let me because he knew I'd lose <laughs> it. I got yeah. in so much trouble reading a comic book in class one time. Oh, yeah, really? I, yeah, I was. Uh, I think it was like fourth grade or something. Our teacher. Had had just that morning made this big lecture about how, you know, dang it, if you don't bring your school supplies to school, you just sit there and be quiet. Do not come up and ask me for a pencil. And, you know, I'm looking down and I don't have a pencil. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, crap, I I can't go up and ask her for a pencil. And it was spelling class and you're having to write out your spelling words and all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, (laughs) so I was like, well, I've got this issue of Fantastic Four with me. I'll slip it into my spelling book. 
and I'll just sit here and read my spelling book. It'll look like I'm reading my spelling book while I'm actually reading Fantastic Four. Still remember the issue. I know exactly which issue that was. <laughs> it was uh, shortly after, I think their 200th this issue. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was one of the many times that the Fantastic Four was coming apart at the seams. Uh, Mr. Fantastic had lost his powers. Or actually, maybe it was right before issue 200. The, the Invisible Girl was hanging out down in Atlantis with a submariner, you know, and maybe, maybe going to kiss him a little bit or something. You know, it was really good book. I believe it was illustrated by George Perez. And I'm sitting there and I'm reading it. And, you know, Dr. Doom is in there and reading the book and up comes my spelling teacher, Mrs. Davis. And she says, Aaron, I've just got to say, I've never seen anybody read their spelling book so intently before. She goes, I just really <laughs> wanted to commend you on how focused you are. And she sees that I'm reading a comic. She goes, what is this? And she snatches it out of my hand. Snatches the comic book out of my hand. And, she, and I was like, well, you know, uh, you said, and she's like, you are not ever to read a comic book in this class ever. And I said, but you said that if I didn't have a pencil, that I couldn't go. She goes, you come up and ask me if you don't have a pencil. And I'm like, but that's not what you said. And so I'm arguing with her and I'm just really upset because she's holding my comic book. And she's like, I want you to take this comic book uh, and I want you to go down to the principal's office. I'm like, okay, so go down to the principal's office and Mr. Connell, who was this giant linebacker of a guy. I mean, the guy was huge. And, you know, everyone was, everybody in the school was just terrified of this guy. In fact, you know, there were the legends about, you know, if you had to go get, you know, swats from Mr. Connell, uh, you know, that there was some kind of electric paddle he used, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that, that provided an electrical discharge on the hit. And, you know, there was speculation that maybe it wasn't electric, but maybe static electricity was generated because he hit you so hard, you know, <laughs> you know, all kinds of legends like that. He was just a fierce, fierce man. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there in his office and he's like, well, you know, why are you reading the comic book? And I explained to him, he says, well, let me tell you, this comic book is living with me now. Oh. And I'm like, what? And he's like, he's like, yep, it's standing right here. And he opened up his desk drawer and slid the comic book in it. Bastard. And, and so I go home that night, that day and I'm telling my mother what happened. And she's like, he's keeping your comic book. I'm like, yeah. And my mother was the kind of person who always made me fight my own battles you know, she, she she very rarely would go up and say, hey, you did this wrong. This was inappropriate. You know, you need to make it right. She'd say, here's what you need to do to go make it right. Uh-huh. You know? And so she says, you need to write him a letter and tell him that he needs to do one of two things. He needs to give you that comic or he needs to pay you the money uh, that he owes you for that comic. That is not his comic. <laughs> <laughs> and your know, comics were like 35 cents back then. And, and so I did. I wrote this letter. Which at the time I felt like was very well well drafted, and I'm sure it was all written in crayon on construction paper. <laughs> but you know, I invoiced him, and I said, you know, uh, you have taken possession of my. I'm, I'm I'm paraphrasing, obviously. You've taken possession of my comic. You can either return the comic to me by week's end, or you can provide to me uh, thirty seven cents, thirty five cents for the comic, two cents for tax. <laughs> <laughs> And so I felt all brave and everything while I did it until the moment I see him standing at the, at the edge of my classroom, just glaring at me. And he's like, I need to see you in my office. And I'm like, holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, I'm going to call your mother and talk to her about this. I'm like, well, she told me to write the letter. And he's like, yeah, I don't believe that. I'm going to call your mother. And if she, if she uh, doesn't corroborate your story, you're getting swats today. And so he calls my mom and, you know, I always had this fear anytime, you know, cause mom would tell me to do stuff and my mother has a horrible memory. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and you know, depending on when you caught her, she might say, "Yeah, I remember telling him that." Or <laughs> Aaron, who? <laughs> <laughs> so he he calls my mom, and I just I'm sitting there just terrified because you never know which mom you were going to get on the phone at a given moment. She could have been busy at work or something, and you know, ah, yeah, don't call me about comic books. And so he explains the situation, and all I can gather is that my mother said. Yes, I told him to, that you that he needed to write that letter because, you know, you took his book. It wasn't your book to take. And he finally hangs up the phone. He says, all right. And he hands me the book. Don't bring these to school anymore. Wow. But I remember sitting there terrified. <laughs> 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 Great big, huge man. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. That's that's hilarious. <laughs> you know, and I, I've, I've read comics so many times back in school. You know, I, uh-huh. I, I, I remember sometimes I would have just nothing but comics in my backpack and I would carry my books under my arm. But you know, it's it's funny because we were, you know, we're so DC centric here on the on the show. But growing up, I was totally about Marvel comics. Oh, same here. Absolutely about Marvel comics. It wasn't until I was much older. In fact, I don't think I mean everyone loves Superman. You know, I love Superman. Superman the movie was released the year I was born, the one with Chris Reeve. Right. Loved Love Superman, love Batman and Robin, you know, didn't give a crap about Wonder Woman as a little kid, little boy. But, you know, it wasn't until I was older that I really got into DC heroes like Superman. Right. Yeah, I, I, I just, and maybe it was that I lived in New York and Marvel took place in New York and DC was in some fictional city, you know, that didn't, you know, Gotham City, where's that? But, you know, it, it, I was totally a Marvel kid growing up and I just... I don't want to say my taste matured for all you Marvel <laughs> readers out there. You immature, damn-ass Marvel readers. No, I'm just kidding. You know, I I, I am now a, a DC follower, you know, pretty much yeah. all the way. Well, and I would still call myself a Marvel, but I'm just not picking up Marvel books right now because of Dark Reign. Yeah. You know, and, and consequently, that has provided me more spending dollars to buy DC books. So yeah. since we've got totally off topic and I couldn't remember my first time, <laughs> do you remember yours? I do. I remember it vividly. 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 Take let's us back, go, Aaron. Let's go back in the Wayback Machine. I was eight years old, and I want to say it was summertime. I had, had time on my hands, so my guess is that it was either summer or the weekend. And I was hanging out with my buddy Stevie Whitworth. Guys dare each other to do stuff. And so we are in the corner convenience store, a little place called Betty's Groceries, you know, and we're, we're, you know, browsing around and, and I turn around to Steve just off the top of my head. I said, dare you to steal something. And he's like, okay. So he palms a two cent piece of bubble gum. And he's like, I dare you to steal something. I'm like, well, crap. You know, I really think that through because, you know, you got to steal something bigger. You know, you can't, I can't also steal a two cent piece of bubble gum. I have to steal something bigger. So I were standing over by the spin rack of comics back in the day when, you know, corner stores had spin racks of comics and I'm wearing my windbreaker and, uh, <laughs> I slip this comic under my windbreaker. Don't even look at what I'm grabbing. I just grab a comic off, off the spin rack. And so, you know, we go out of there and we're kind of giggling and, you know, hey, we stole something, you know, we're bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I get home and I, I, I did not read at that time. I was mildly dyslexic. Reading was hard. You know, I hated reading for school. And so I threw the, the comic book on my, on the, my side table in my bedroom and, you know, really had forgotten about it until many weeks later when it was raining outside and, you know, just didn't have anything to do. So I just kind of palmed through the book and the book was actually a Disney comic. And again, I was eight years old. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, it was a Disney comic. It was Scamper or Scampy. Um, it was the child of Lady and the Tramp. So it was kind of a, a continuing story of the puppies from Lady and the Tramp. And I really liked it. I sat there reading this thing and I'm like, you know, I, I first I looked at the pictures and then I, I kind of wanted to know what was going on. So I read it. And like I said, I did not read re- recreationally because reading was kind of hard for me at the time. And I, I really enjoyed it. And you know, I read the thing, you know, many, many times, you know, how like you do when you're a kid. Oh, yeah. And, As an adult, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I sat there going, God, I, I got to get me some more of this. I, you know, because, you know, I need to I need to know, you know, it talked about what was coming in the next issue. I need to know what's happening in the next issue. So I go back up to the store and steal another comic. (laughs) (laughs) And I probably stole my first eight or ten comics until until at one point I was like, you know what? I probably ought to be buying these things. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, I started buying comics and quickly migrated out of, you know, the more kiddie centric comics like the Disney comics and whatnot. Um, and started buying, you know, I, I remember I first jumped into Spider-Man and, you know, was buying the whole Spider-Man, you know, right back in those days, you had amazing Spider-Man and you had, um, Spectacular web of well, um, no, you didn't. Ha- you had Amazing Spider-Man. There was another one, and I remember I was there at the launch of Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Uh, oh, you had Marvel Team Up with, oh, okay. with Spider-Man, and then you also had the the Spider-Man Marvel Tales, which were the reprints. Yes, I remember those. Uh, so you had you had those three titles. Plus, there was the uh, Spider Spidey Super Stories, I think, is what it was called. With uh, it was kind of based off of the Spider-Man that was featured in the uh, uh, electric company, the, the PBS Kitty Show. I remember that, yeah. And I remember picking that up going, well, why is this Spider-Man so different from the other Spider-Men? <laughs> you know, it wasn't the same guy. I mean, it was the same character, but the stories were told so much differently. Yeah. And so it took me a little while. Again, I was eight and a little dyslexic, so cut me some slack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it took me a little while to figure out, oh, this is a kitty book. And so I dropped that one, but I, I religiously picked up those. And I'm a huge fan of the old Spider-Man Marvel team-up books. Absolutely love those books. And one of the things I think that book is really good for, and books like it, is it introduces you to those other characters. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how I learned about Yellow Jacket, you know, H- Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne. Um, that's how I how I got introduced to the Fantastic Four. It's how I got introduced to the Punisher. All those stories got me into those characters. It was what got me into the X Men. It was it was kind of that gateway uh, uh, comic book. That gateway drug, exactly. Well, we all know that comics are a drug, <laughs> uh, but it got me into that whole Marvel universe because I knew I liked Spider Man. Right? You mm-hmm. know, Spider Man is that is one of those big characters that anybody can glom onto, and then you just start, kind of learn about the larger universe. And I was hooked. And I, you know, I got hooked into the Avengers early on. Fantastic Four. I, I picked up uh, right in that that uh, realm of like issue one seventy, one eighty, where uh, George Perez was doing a lot of the pencils. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and and th- those those stories were fantastic. In fact, I've got them in trade now. They were just fantastic, and they really the Fantastic Four really tells more of a science fiction, more of a cosmic level kind of story in superhero books when they're doing it right, in my opinion. And I really think that that shaped a lot of what I like about comic books. 
you know, I like those big cosmic stories. I like super science in my comic book stories. Just really groove to that stuff. And again, I, I am absolutely hooked on George Perez. You know, I came in with George Perez and, you know, here, here we are, you know, 30 years later reading comic books and George Perez is still drawing. Yeah. You know, he just did, you know, Legion of, of Three Worlds for us last week that we talked about. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, that, that was kind of my, my starting experience. And I was probably, I think, probably, uh, well, no, because I started reading Superman by 1976. And so I, I was, Superman was really the only DC title I read until I started getting into uh, more of their books, like probably four years after that. So I was reading Superman in DC, but that was really it. Yeah, you know, as a kid, if something like Superman Batman had come out, oh yeah, you'd I would been be all, all about it, all yeah. about it. Yeah, you know, I mean, just Superman and Batman in the same book because <clears throat> to this day, you know, as a kid and to this day, you know, as a kid it was Spider Man, but then it became Superman and Batman. But today it's you know it's Superman and Batman, you know. Yeah. But now I will I will add in my you know criminal experience. <laughs> in, in reading comics that I, you know, I started stealing comics at, at age eight. And, you know, after about 10 issues or so that I had thefted, began uh, purchasing my comics from Betty's Grocery. I went to work there when I was 12. It was one of my first jobs. And I remember I would take my breaks in the uh, walk-in freezer because, you know, this is Texas. It's hot most of the time. And, you know, I'd take my breaks in the walk-in freezer, you know, drink a, a chocolate milk and read a comic book. And that's one of my favorite memories about reading comic books as a kid, you know, is sitting back there in the ice cold freezer, you know, reading comic books. And, you know, they were, those folks were so nice. I'm sure they knew I was stealing comic books from them, you know, cause you know, it's not like I'm the black cat or something, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't have these ninja like skills, but uh, you know, I remember when I went away to summer camp, they gave me, they said, he says, well, why, how long are you going to be gone for summer camp? I'm like, oh, I'll be gone in three weeks. And he goes, well, I want you to go over there and just pick out whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, that just, just was the nice, nice, nice folks that they were. And I share that because we don't have spin racks at, at convenience stores anymore. You know, I was about to say the same thing. I saw a spin rack the other day in a Walden books. Now keep in mind, how often do you find a Walden books anymore at all? It's yeah. all Barnes and Noble, Books right. a Million. And some of them do have comics mixed in. With the magazines now, they right. don't really have spinner racks. Right. But you're right. As far as Seven Eleven, yeah, you can't racks, you can't get a comic at Seven Eleven. Um, you know, one of the times I I go every week, I make a a conscious purchase every week to go to my comic shop and buy a stack of comic books. But I do find myself out in the world, and like if I'm at the drugstore or if I'm at the grocery store, or I'm at the little corner convenience store. You know, sometimes you're like, well, what do they have over there? And I think it'd be great to have a comic for me because I might pick up something that I don't normally pick up, right? Yeah. But when you think about, you know, I, I never never would have walked in to a comic book shop when I was eight years old. It just, I wasn't into science fiction at the time. I wasn't into comic books. I was, I was you know, completely outside of the hobby and of the genre. And so the way I got pulled into that was walking into a convenience store and taking a comic. Mm-hmm. You know, not ideally you'd buy the comic. You know. <laughs> yes, ideally you would pay for the comic. <laughs> but you know, I, that is a, that spin rack is what got me into comics. 
Yeah, and I do feel like I have here. more than, than paid for my fines <laughs> since then. But, yeah. you know, those comics got me into comics. The availability right there at, at, the, at the corner store is what got me into comics. And there are so many times when I'm thinking, you know, like, for instance, when, when I'm sick. And you go to the drugstore after you've been to the doctor to get whatever medicine's gonna gonna cure you, and you're thinking, God, I feel like crap today. Wouldn't it be great to have a comic? And wouldn't it be great if there was something there? And I, I think what they should do. I understand that everything is built on the direct sales market right now. Yes. But I think there needs to be a product out there for folks who aren't reading comics. And I think that what they ought to do is something like the old Marvel Marvel Tales, reprint comics. Sell them for a buck or two bucks, and and put them there at you know convenience stores and drugstores and whatnot, so that you know the guy who's never read a comic book before can get one, so that somebody, a parent who wants to pick one up for their kid can get one, so that when the kid sees the pretty cover and wants it, mom and dad can look down and go, this is a dollar, this is two dollars, throw it in the cart. But you know if if Junior picks up a four dollar comic book. I'm probably, as a parent, going to say no. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, that's a little pricey. It is. And, you know, Free Comic Book Day <clears throat> mm-hmm. doesn't bring in new readers. And I hate no. to say that because I love Free Comic Book Day. Really, you know, I mean, they come in, you know, it's in the newspaper. People go in, they get their free comics. But l- how many of those people actually stick with it? And how much are we limiting our audience to just people who are willing to go to an actual comic store? Yeah. You know, free comic book day should be something at movie theaters, yeah. at the book, at Barnes and Noble, at, yeah. you know, Books a Million and Borders and all those, you know, it yeah, should be in the, many places. And, and free comic book day is designed to help out the, the, your, your friendly local comic shop. Yes. But, you know, you're helping out your friendly local comic shop if people are in the hobby. So, you know, I, I, I think that there is a case to be made that free comic book day should involve all booksellers. I agree. You know, that all booksellers should get involved. It should be, you know, hell, even, even free stuff at the convenience store. You know, and now ideally you're going to have it where comic books are, but you know, we sell comic books at Walden's Books. We sell comic books at Barnes and Noble. Mm-hmm. You know, why not have something there? Because if you're hooking that kid, when that kid starts having his, his own discretionary income, he's going to start buying those books. You know, and I, and, and I think it, I think it just makes our, our hobby more robust. You know, we've had the good fortune of having some very successful movies over the last 20 years that I think have helped bring folks into the hobby. But, you know, if you're relying on your friendly local comic shop to bring folks into the hobby, unless you've got guys who are really savvy at marketing, like Zeus Comics here in Dallas, mm-hmm. that do a bunch of stuff to bring people in, uh, you know, you're not going to do it. You know, unless you're willing to commit a whole bunch of time, energy, and resources to uh, having these large events that draw public interest, that get some additional media coverage, you're not going to bring new folks in because you have to know about the comic shop to seek out the comic shop, and you have to want to go to a comic shop. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just if comics were cheaper, you know, uh, like unwritten number one, you know, was a one buck. And I think it is such an excellent read for anybody, whether you're a comic fan or not. If I was able to get my hands on more of them, I would have picked up about 20 of them and just left them places. Right. But, you know, they comics are and they're making themselves a, a niche market because you have a dollar book. Why aren't you sending these out in droves free right. to retailers? Something like that, you know. But for I had a I couldn't get unwritten number one until the second printing. 
Right. Because it was sold out. And, you know, we're not marketing guys, but even just us, we know there are better ways to get people into the hobby. And I don't know if it's just a matter of time, resources, money, but it's not that expensive. It's really not to to produce a, a dollar comic book and just put it out there. Particularly if it's something you've already made your buck on. You know, yeah. if it, I mean, you could release any number of Spider-Man stories out there that are fairly recent, you know, within the last 10 years. Um, you could release any number of Superman and Batman stories, same thing, and repackage them, you know, uh, throw, you know, clearly label that it's a reprint so that some, some schmuck like me isn't picking that up going, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, put it out there because for folks who've not been exposed to comics before, they don't know it's a reprint. They don't know that they're that this is five years out of continuity. And that was the great thing about those old Marvel Tales books. I read a whole bunch about Spider Man that I you know I got to read the the, the old Gwen Stacy story. Mm-hmm. You know I got to read some of the original Green Goblin stories. You know and and there were there were stories that were five or ten years out of time when I picked them up. Yeah. And so and I didn't know that and it didn't matter to me. It only mattered to me once I was current on all the Spider-Man continuity, and I stopped picking up Marvel Tales. But I really do think that there is a niche market for that. Now, that market doesn't go to your comic shop every week. No, it's absolutely. a whole different population of folks who are at the convenience store, you know, who are at 7-Eleven, at the drugstore. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of my favorite comics growing up was Spider-Man and Wolverine, which was, I think, a reprint uh, I don't know if it was a two-part Wolverine story or a two-part Spider-Man story where Spider-Man's in Japan and Wolverine's girlfriend dies. Oh, thanks for ruining that for me, yeah, Paul. damn it. It's only 30 <laughs> years old. Um, you know, but that was one of my favorite comics growing up. Yeah. I mean, I read that thing a million times till the cover fell off. Oh, yeah. There's not anything like that out there yeah. for new readers to really jump into. And yes, there are things out there. Don't Don't get us wrong. There's Scooby-Doo, there's Tiny Titans, there's plenty out there for new readers. Right. It's at the comic shop, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's at the comic shop. Or it's hidden in your Barnes & Noble area, you know? And and I think that what we would recommend to everybody, and I know we're not the only ones saying this, and I'm sure that there's some financial reason why people aren't doing it, but uh, you've got to put comics in the places where people can find them. Mm -hmm. You know, otherwise, we're going to see the continual shrinking of the population in this hobby. Yeah. You know? The only reason video games are popular is because you have video game stores or you sell video games in places adults like to go. Yeah. Adults like to go to the mall. Adults like to go to Best Buy. Well, you know, Comic shops are not in the mall. That's right. Well, and look at, I mean, you've got the popularity of, of video games and DVDs. Mm-hmm. You know, both, both are very popular. Uh, 30 years ago, people weren't buying movies. Okay. Yeah. But you know, you can buy a DVD at the grocery store now. You can buy a video game at the grocery store now. You can buy a video game at Seven Eleven. You can buy a video game at Best Buy. You can buy a video game at the video game store. You know, there are all different. And the same thing with DVDs. You can buy you know DVDs anywhere. Uh-huh. That's the success of, of that of those of that media, and it's because they have just made it more available, and that's where the affordability came down. If you had more people reading comics, we wouldn't have five dollar books. Yeah, you know. So I mean, I, we have we have got the the problem is that we're marketing to ourselves. We need to be marketing out there to other folks. So there, we there. Have fixed the comic industry's problem. Go forth and take care of it. Exactly. Pass the word. <laughs> Spread the word. <laughs> So say we all. <laughs> yeah, so say we all. 
Several weeks ago, we talked about how Superman uh, was in the courts again and how it looks like the rights to Superman are, will revert back to the Seagulls in, what, 2013, I think is what that said? Yeah, I think it was 2013. And so in 2013, you know, just uh, three and a half short years from now, Three and a half, four and a half short years from now. What year are we in? Two thousand nine, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see. I used to be mildly dyslexic. Now I just don't know my numbers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, the the rights to Superman, as the case stands right now, revert back to the Seagulls in twenty thirteen. And so Paul and I got to talking. There's a really strong possibility that somebody might pick up the Superman franchise, other than DC. Now, yeah, it seems like a very remote possibility. DC is, is, is going to be very motivated to retain that franchise. But, you know, there is that possibility that Superman could just go somewhere else. And so we have decided that we are starting a new feature here on Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. And it's called What If We Were Writing. So this week... We're going to talk about what if we were writing Superman. It, it's hard. It's hard to take Superman, a concept like Superman, and start it over, you know, and and really kind of produce a story that's not informed by the 60 years that the character has already had. But, you know, I, I think there's a lot that they could do with the character. You know, we're talking about, you know, if if we were writing Superman, you know, and going with the constraints that, you know, we have to stick with what the Siegel Schusters went with, which yeah, you know, what they own, what yeah. they own, which is right. not flying. This is Superman jumping, right? You know, this is you know a lot of that's still there, but you don't have Lex Luthor, you don't right. have Perry White, you don't have Kryptonite, you don't have Kryptonite. You just basically have this alien. Yeah, I think the key elements that you have are that he is the son of Jor El, rocketed to Earth from the dying planet Krypton, mild mannered reporter, and you know s- certain super abilities. But you know, I'm not sure that he even had heat vision. Yeah, I'm not even sure. And I don't yeah. even... I, I think he he may have had Lois Lane. I, I, he did have Lois Lane. Um, it was kind of, you know, you had the, the Daily Planet, and I think you had... You might not... You had a character that looked like Perry White, but I'm not even convinced that you had Perry White. But you did have, like, the Ultra Humanite, who looks an awful lot like Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to current continuity, where the Ultra Humanite looks like a great big bug. <laughs> 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 but... Uh, you know, so you you do have a much more scaled back persona, but you know, there's so much you can still do with it. You know, especially coming at it nowadays, there's a nostalgia about the time. You can have Superman. You can either do a modern day Superman, or you can do a Superman almost in an alternate reality, kind of out of time, modern technology, but at the same time, a little bit of that. 30s sensibility that was yeah. there when Superman was created. Sure, and kind of keep him in his own continuity. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, not saying that this is a good movie, but almost like a Sky Captain way of doing it. Right. You know, right. in that, you know, some modern technologies, but, you know, that out of time yeah. aspect to it. And, you know, I, I think it would be great, you know, to, to get away. You know, that is a much more depowered Superman. I mean, nowadays Superman can see auras and right. read people's thoughts and blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> you know he, he can be fighting... Brainiac and hear his father's heartbeat because he always keeps track of his fa- his father's heartbeat. Right. You know, Superman was not that way when he first started. He was a super strong guy who could lift a car, bend metal, break chains, jump right. over a building, and run fast. You know, that would be great to see him take on the gangsters again. You know, the gangsters. Yeah. You know, the 
I wouldn't say like you know, but the Al Capone type gangsters. Uh-huh. You know, you can Mafia have robots. Guys. Yeah. You know, you can have. I, I would like to see Superman at least go thirty, forty issues before he fights a super powered baddie. Yeah. You know, you can have robots. You can have supernatural elements. Eh, maybe I don't know. Supernatural is kind of tricky. But, you know, gangsters, robots, organized crime, the man. You know, yeah. there, there, there's so much more you can do with Superman than just dealing with Brainiac. And To your point, I, I think that there is a, there's a, a certain type of story you have to get locked into when you start ratcheting up Superman's powers. Mm-hmm. You know, so you, you start making Superman the most powerful thing in the universe, and suddenly you have to make something more powerful than him. You know, so every every time Superman's at risk, because you have to put the, the character at risk, right? Mm-hmm. You have to create something bigger and badder and more earth shattering. Yeah, but you know, yeah. Kryptonite was an invention of the radio show, so right. that's not a Siegel Schuster invention either. That's right. You know, so Superman's weaknesses were just <laughs> strong things. Yeah. Well, know? and I think that you could you could probably still get away with a magic weakness. Yeah. You know, so you could probably get away with that. I, I like your pitch, Paul. I like your little pulp Superman pitch. I like yeah. it. You know, I would no, read that book. Damn right. I mean, there's there's not enough pulp out there. There's not enough pulp heroes out there that really, you know, they, they try to take the old and make it dark or more mm-hmm. mature or something like that. But there's not a lot of fun pulp out there. And when they try to do fun pulp like that Sky Captain, right, it ends up being a piece of crap. Yeah. No, I think it would be good. Now, I have a, a little different take on it. All right. Let's hear um, Aaron's take. Mine, my take, and I, and I went from the tack of who would have the money to buy these rights, because I, I think they're going to go for you know an extraordinary amount of money. And yeah. that's going to be Marvel. If it's not DC, it's Marvel. Okay. So if Marvel bought the rights, what would Marvel do? It? Well, first of all, they'd put it in current continuity. Dark really Rain. <laughs> Dark Rain Superman. <laughs> Dark Superman. So – how do you tell that story? If you're going to bring the character into current continuity and you cannot utilize what's gone before that the seagulls don't own. So I kind of want to paint a picture for you, Paul. <clears throat> a large, you know, storm, freakish, freakishly harsh. Something falls out of the sky, crashes into Smallville, Kansas. Because, you know, in the Marvel Universe, there'll be a Smallville, Kansas. Because that's, I, I believe that's part of the, the what the seagulls own. Mm-hmm. Crashes into Smallville, Kansas, and there are bits and pieces of the rocket ship in which Superman came to Earth in. There is a full-grown Superman wearing his tattered and torn uh, Superman S. And, you know, what we have is a Superman who doesn't remember anything. He doesn't know where he came from. He is able to piece together some things from his life, you know, that he was rocketed to earth from the dying planet Krypton that here he is in Smallville and he has some flashes of memory, but the Kents were never had a super, a a Clark Kent or a a Kal-El in their life here in the Marvel universe, you know, but he feels drawn to them and, you know, he crashes on their farm and there's some kind of connection there. And, you know, he, and as he's going along and, you know, there are several, you know, like you said, many issues before he encounters, you know, other superheroes. Uh, so maybe it's, you know, five or six before he becomes known by the, by the larger, wider Marvel universe, but it becomes known that he's from another universe, Okay, you know? And so you can kind of allude to the DC stories. 
but you can't reveal the DC stories. And because he has no memory of it, it's all very shady and, you know, protected under copyright. What you have is a guy who's just trying to find his place in life. And I think that using a mechanism like that, it makes people feel like they haven't wasted all their time reading that those DC stories. You're not devaluing what's gone before, which yeah. is important on two sides. It's important for the fan who... You know, why am I going to go pick up a licensed product when they won't own it forever and it's just going to go wind up somewhere else and they're going to do a whole nother spin? Mm -hmm. So what it does is, is it does kind of take the character that you've known and loved for 70 years over at DC Comics and keeps him over here, you know, without saying none of that ever happened. You know, yeah. and, I, and I think that I think that's that's sensitive to to the to both the fan and I think it's also good for your business because you have not devalued the character any. So I, I, I kind of like that idea uh, that you're that you're mindful of that, but it's kind of like the, the, what Star Trek did in the recent movie. It's a new universe. Yeah, you know, that's it's something not a bad else. idea. I think that's a great idea. And you know, because he's in a new, new universe, his powers work a little differently. You can kind of extrapolate that. You know, well, this is why he can't fly. Yeah. You know, this is why he doesn't have some of those other crazy powers. But you know, you still have those things that make Superman Superman. He is intrinsically good. You know, and even though he wasn't raised by the by the uh, you know Martha and Jonathan Kent of the Marvel universe, he carries those values from the other universe, and he's still just as he was drawn to them, he's drawn to them here in the Marvel universe. Mm -hmm. So I, I think there's some really interesting stories you can tell there, and you know you kind of you know you get to ask those questions. Well, what if Superman was in the Marvel universe? You know, and what impact does that have? Does he does he become you know somebody that you know Steve Rogers can really identify with because they both kind of have that same perspective? Is who becomes his supervillain? Is it Doctor Doom? Is it Norman Osborn? You know, who is the supervillain that that is going to go head to head with with the Marvel Universe Superman? Hmm. So that's kind of my take on it. That's how I would do it if I was with Marvel. But, you know, it won't be with Marvel because Aaron and I are going to start saving our nickels and dimes. <laughs> well, you and know, in 2013, we're going to sell our comic book collections <laughs> and, and we'll make tons and tons of money on our comic collections because back issues are huge right now. And uh, <laughs> that was my, me dripping with sarcasm, by the way. And, uh, but, you know, <laughs> and we'll have Aaron and Polly funny books. Yeah. Company. Fun, funny books with Aaron and Polly featuring Superman. Damn right. There you go. And we'll have two different kinds of Superman. We'll have a pulp Superman and then my Superman that's all, you know. Yeah. Not in the Marvel Universe, but in the funny books with Aaron and Polly. We'll have Aaron Head Superman and we'll have Ultimate Superman. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. There you I go. Like it. All Start right, saving. Let's get to working on that right now. <laughs> we'll also use a, a fund for the swear jar. So I, I, I dropped the GD today, so I'm going to have to put a dollar in there. So yeah. that'll also help fund the project. I, I dropped a couple, too, when I was talking about <laughs> Marvel folks. So I think that's two bucks, two, three bucks. Very good. Well, hey, I, I do want to give a couple of shout outs this week. Um, no, actually, we're done. I'm no. There's going to be a shout out. You watch it. You. <laughs> Damn. Um, <laughs> four, four dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, Noble Bear, 
over on the Fear the Boot forums, uh, feartheboot.com, had some just terrific feedback for us about how we review some of the comics. And, and I just really appreciated those comments. By all means, you know, please keep those comments coming. Uh, we are doing our, just our level best to make the show as, as good as it can be and to make it as interesting as it can be. So please, please, please continue sharing those comments. Yeah, and absolutely. And share them on ideologyofmadness.com as well. Yeah, that would the, be nice if you could comment on our blog. Yeah, so we don't have to go to other people's <laughs> websites. What's up with the hat? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you just have to grow into it. Yeah, the internet That's confuses right. me. And uh, before we go, if you are coming through this, uh, if you're listening to this podcast through iTunes or any other place, Check us out at www.ideologyofmadness.com where you can hear us ramble on even more. And hey, while you're on iTunes, go over there and give us a rating. Ooh, good, good. <laughs> All right. Have a good week. Thanks, everybody. Ah. Hello. I'm Aaron from Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. In today's show, we talked a great deal about stealing. Entertainment media such as movies, television, books, and even podcasts often glamorize a life of crime without sharing the bitter consequence such choices have. Studies show that at least half of the people in prisons today have committed some type of crime. And if HBO's critically acclaimed prison drama Oz taught us anything, it is that unless you're into anal rape, prison probably isn't for you. But beyond crime's punishment, stealing is just plain wrong. It is never appropriate or right to steal, my friends, unless someone dares you. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. Credit card in a comic book shop, a dangerous mix.